0: All right, thanks, John. I appreciate it. I'm going to give everyone a little bit of direction. For those of you who are sitting out in your cars, if you haven't gone up to the door, there's a table. If you could go uh, one person at a time, could collect a little communion uh, cup, package. We're going to have that ready for after the message. We're going to all have communion together at the same time. Those of you that are in your homes, this would be a good time if you haven't prepared already You could have something ready for communion at the end of the message. I will lead us through that moment where we have communion together. It's Resurrection Sunday, so we're going to talk about the resurrection and hopefully in such a way that it will build up to a time of communion together with each other and with the Lord. And I will give you specific directions, those of you that are outside in your cars, I will give you specific direction on how to open these uh, little cup packages, because it's uh, new for some of us. What I'd like to do this morning is deviate from the normal plan. Typically, we are going through a series. Uh, lately, it's been through First and Second Peter, the letters of Peter. But this morning, given our unique circumstance, I'm going to change it up, and instead of tying that into the cross and Resurrection Weekend. We're going to do a special Resurrection Weekend message, and I'll try to keep it short so that it's palatable for everyone. I would like to take you to the Gospel of John, and I would like to take you a little bit backwards before we get to the Resurrection piece, and then we'll go back to that that other passage that's well prior to that. And it begins in John chapter 11. I want to give you a kind of a synopsis of what happened there. If you'll recall, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were all very close to Jesus. But Jesus was a long ways away and he was told that Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. But Jesus purposely waited a long time to go see him so that God could be glorified. And by the time he's there, people are upset because Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Jesus assures them that he's got this. But they're clearly upset. And many of us who struggle with the shortest verse in the Bible, short, many of us who struggle memorizing Scripture would do well to memorize the shortest verse in the Bible. If you haven't memorized it already, it's John eleven thirty-five, 35, and it's Jesus Wept. That's the shortest verse in the English Bible. And why did Jesus weep? Even though he had assured everyone that he's got this covered, and he, he, he should have, especially Mary and Martha, they should have known he's got this. Everybody really should have known. They'd seen his miracles. However, Jesus looked around, and he saw people deeply saddened. Now, as he looked at these people that are deeply saddened, it says, Jesus wept. Now, I would have messed that up. I would have messed it up royally, knowing that I could raise Lazarus from the dead, and that I've got this. If it was my choice, I would have probably saying, hey, calm down. Quit, Quit your crying. What are you worried about? I'm here to take care of this. But my Bible and your Bible says, Jesus wept. Jesus ordered that the stone be moved away, and Martha said, I love the King James rendition, but Lord, he stinketh. Don't put that on a t-shirt, but it's kind of funny. And Jesus did raise Lazarus from the dead, and it was amazing. And in John chapter 11, we discover that this is not something that pleased everyone, In fact, people ran and told the Pharisees, and they plotted to kill him, because word was going to spread about this. You weren't going to be able to stop it, so they plotted to kill him. And then the procedure of events that moves from there, you'll see in chapter 12, Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. And if you're following along, I'm just looking at the subheadings in the English Standard Version that man has added, but it gives you an idea of what's happening and then you see the triumphal entry. You see that it's very clear that Jesus came to save the world. Chapter 13, what does Jesus do just prior to his trial and imminent death? <laughs> what he does, he washes his disciples' feet. Wow. And, of course, he identifies that one's going to betray him, one's going to deny him. We know who those players are. In a very intimate gathering on a Thursday night, there he was with his disciples revealing this information and instituting communion that we will celebrate together in just a little bit. He says, a new commandment I give you. love one another. In chapter 14, Jesus clearly says, especially in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. There might be other people doing other things this resurrection weekend, but we are celebrating the one who came. He suffered and he died. He rose again and ascended to heaven at the right hand of God as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the only way to heaven. He promises the Holy Spirit at the end of chapter 14. And chapter 15, he speaks of him being the true vine. It's an important concept to understand that we have to stay connected. Jesus wants to lift up those who, are, who have fallen and are struggling and are not productive, but stay connected to the vine so that we can receive our spiritual nutrition. He also says in John chapter 15 that if the world hated him, it will hate us as well. What servant is greater than his master? In chapter 16, he speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit, which is important. And he talks about our sorrow that will turn to joy. He talks about he is overcoming the world. He prays for his disciples. It's a fascinating thing how much he pours himself into this. In a concerted effort, all of the Gospels put together and paint a picture that is very troubling. Jesus is very much struggling as he prays. He falls to the ground. He's very much having a difficult time and prays to the Father and says, may this cup pass from me if there's any way. He prays this three times, but he said, your will be done. And he followed the will of the Father. It was a very daunting thing in front of him, but Jesus faced it. He was put on a kind of a trial, a few trials at that time. And he was delivered to be crucified. I'm in chapter 19 now. It was a horrible thing, what he went through. It depends on whatever historical references you use to determine what was used on him. It's not described specifically in Scripture. It's either a flagellum or a flagrum, Strips of leather with either pieces of uh, mushroom-shaped lead at the end or jagged pieces of various materials, metal, bone, rocks, glass, and whatever. They whipped him. Many people hadn't survived the whippings. There was 40 lashes is what he was given. And his whipping was, typically it played out like in the Passion of Price. If you've seen that, you know that it was a horrible thing. It was going to be an NC-17 rating, but because they shortened the whipping scene, they were trying to be biblical, but they had to shorten it in order for it to get lowered to an R rating so the masses could watch it. By this time, the Romans had beaten so many people to death, they didn't make it through the 40 lashes, so they set these rules in place. You must do 39, because if you go over 40, the Roman soldier that does that will be given 40 lashes. So the Romans counted to make sure. Stop me at 39. I'll count, you count, somebody else count, and we'll stop. Even then, many of the victims did not make it through the beatings.
1: Yet Jesus did,
0: his flesh laid open after he was pelted time and time again in the same spots. He was forced to carry his cross. I'll speak of the crown of thorns in a little bit. As Jesus was on the cross, God was clearly upset. Jesus was taking the sins of the world upon himself, and he hadn't committed any sin. They were gambling for his clothing. They were mocking him as they did all the way up until the cross and at the time that he was on the cross. People struck him. They spat on him. Even one of the criminals that was beside him hurled insults at him. Well the day was ending and Jesus did give up his spirit and it was crazy because as the daylight should have still been it wasn't it was dark as if the earth was troubled itself Jesus gave up his spirit he was as they were going to move the bodies off the crosses it was they didn't want to have the bodies up there on the sabbath and they needed to make sure that Those that were there, the three of them, Jesus and the two thieves, one on each side, make sure they're dead. So they broke their legs so they couldn't push up and breathe anymore, except when they got to Jesus, he looked like he was already dead. So they pierced his side as prophesied. All of this was prophesied. Blood and water flowed, indicating that he died of a broken heart. Must have been so heavy to bear my sins yours. So they didn't break his legs as prophesied that no bones would be broken. They buried him. Some who've been accused of being doubters and skeptics approached and sought approval to put his body in a tomb. It was sealed. There were rumors that that Jesus was going to claim, they were going to claim that he rose from the dead, so they sealed it up and they gave strict warnings. Don't let anybody tamper with this. But on the third day, that's the, today is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. By the power of God, Jesus did raise from the dead. The stone was moved, and Jesus was risen. He appeared to different people after his resurrection, immediately so. And Luke gives us a little bit of a description that adds to what John gives us in John chapter 20. You see, the disciples were very nervous. They were bothered that Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you too. They were bothered that they killed their leader. There were rumors that he had risen. But these that had gathered hadn't seen that. They had, much like today, they had isolated themselves away from others. The doors were locked. But they were gathered together inside, troubled minds, not knowing what's going to happen next. It had to be much like today with us where we are quarantining ourselves, we're isolating today, we're not even meeting together in person.
1: It's an interesting
0: thing. Last year, I just listened to it again, a message from Kyle Eidelman at Resurrection Weekend Message. And he noted how the coronavirus was named what it's named. The SARS-2 virus was called Corona because under a microscope it looks like thorny crowns. Metaphorically speaking, that's certainly something that relates to our story today because Jesus was mocked by them putting a horrible crown of thorns on him and striking it on his head, causing more injury. But he bore that thorny crown even though they were mocking him as king of the Jews, he did rise from the dead. He did visit his disciples, and when he did, he said, Peace be with you. I don't know if you can hear hear that in such a way that you can feel it this morning. But if you are isolated, if you're feeling alone, if you are away from others, and if you're feeling like things are just overwhelming. Filled with uncertainties. I guess most people are like that today. I hope that you can hear Jesus' words. Peace be with you. Jesus would ascend to heaven and be enthroned at the right hand of God. And he, he as King of kings and Lord of lords, is waiting for us to follow some of us have decided to do that, and that's wonderful. Metaphorically speaking, the coronavirus looks under a microscope like thorny crowns. <laughs> Meta- a metamorphosis can occur inside of you because Jesus came so that you could live with peace and hope like the world cannot know Jesus suffered and died so that our suffering here on this earth doesn't have to end negatively we can spend eternity with him in heaven John writes that he writes these things so that we might know listen to this I'm in John chapter 20 still John chapter 20, verse 30. I will read verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in His name. The one who bore the thorny crowns speaks to us today that have had our lives altered by this virus that's named after authority crowns I find that to be interesting whatever it is that we're going through Jesus can handle it whatever your struggles, whatever your health problems it's better for those who follow Jesus there's a better time coming And it's all because of Jesus. Now I want to tell you a story before we move into the communion time. It was told to me some 35 years ago. And it moved me, and I I hope it moves you. The situation was that a young girl, elementary age, was diagnosed with a health problem that was very unique. It was so unique, it required a blood transfusion in order for her to live. And they struggled trying to find a match so that this could happen. But they found a match. It's not the match they wanted, but it's the match they had. And it was her younger brother. Remember, she's elementary age. He is, too. And so they decided we have have to talk to him about this and see if he would be willing to help his sister with a blood transfusion. Would 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 you give your blood to help your sister? He thought about it. They said it would help her live. He loved his sister. So he finally caved in and he said, okay, I'll do it. They treated both of them very well. The medical professionals were all around them in the same room. They were going to make sure these two were in the same room. They were in beds right near each other so that they could do this and there could be be peace in the family that was in the room. And so they started the process of drawing blood from the little boy for his sister. I don't know if you've given blood before, but every time I give blood, I get a little queasy. I'm just not a good blood giver. So I can relate to how he felt. As, he, as they began to draw his blood, he began to feel queasy, cold. And he looked up at the doctor, and he said, is this when I begin to die? Poor kid didn't know. He was just giving some of his blood to have his sister live. He thought he had to die. But he was willing. That kind of love is the kind of love that Jesus has for you. For me. And that's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday because he willingly gave his life so that we can live. This is the time where those of you who are in your cars are going to grab your communion cups. And what you're going to do, uh, and I'm, I'm, you're going to wait, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you instructions, but on the top, there's a, there's a little clear plastic layer. Not the aluminum layer. There's a separate plastic layer. It's really tightly connected to that aluminum layer. You want to kind of start peeling that little plastic layer back a little bit not the aluminum if you pull the aluminum first you won't be able to get the bread so just kind of start once you have that started i um, am waiting for everyone to catch up with me i know it's not an easy task because the little plastic cellophane is very tight on that aluminum once you've got that separated only a little bit and everyone at home you're preparing for communion as well i want to guide you through the process You know, when Jesus visited those people, His disciples, after His resurrection, they had the doors locked and He appeared before them and He showed them His scars. And He actually ate. He actually ate with them. There are some that say that only His Spirit rose from the dead, but John in his letters said that that's the Spirit of the Antichrist. You can't just say the Spirit of Jesus rose from the dead. And people say, well, how did, where did his body go then? If it went to heaven, how does a physical body go to heaven? I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how he created the universe. I don't know how he rose from the dead, but I do know that his physical body ascended to heaven, a body that could eat food after he rose from the dead. He ate with his disciples. And just before that, before his sentencing and his death and his resurrection... He had instituted communion on that Thursday night, that fateful Thursday night. And he took bread, and it represents his body. And what we're going to do is peel back that little clear cellophane piece, those of us that are in the parking lot, and we're going to consume the bread right now. Those of you at home, it's time to consume the bread, remembering Jesus physically came, he suffered and died, and he physically rose again and ascended to heaven. Those of you that are in your cars, the foil is what you peel back for the juice. We're about to do that now. And Jesus took the fruit of the vine, the grape juice, and he drank it. And he mentioned that it's his blood. He mentioned that the bread is his body. He physically came. And the juice represents his blood. And then we're supposed to do this to proclaim his death until he returns. Jesus died. He died for us, and that's why we drink the juice. Remember, He gave His life. So now peel back the foil. Those of you at home, prepare to consume your juice. Let's all consume that right now. And now I'd like to take a time of reflection while we dwell on communing with the Lord and with each other and on what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, this Resurrection Day, and John is going to play a song for us on his guitar that we'll all be able to hear.